When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Leeds is, is sort of well known as the biggest one-club city in the country. We're nine miles away from Leeds, and I bet we're the smallest two-club town in the country before we merge. It's something that I think should have happened years ago. Supporters don't always have the information about how near the line the club is. From waking up uh, in a bad mood one sort of February morning, we'd actually formalised the decision to merge by the 31st of March, six weeks later. Step four is, is a decent standard, but neither of them go any further. Welcome back, listeners, as we continue the story of Pints of Football's latest podcast with part two of our Osset doubleheader. Last time, we gave you an insight into the main driving forces between Town and Albion's merger to become united. And now we will be looking at how it has worked out so far. Get ready for episode three, part two of Pint of Football's Lost Clubs, A Town United. The story of Osset Town FC and Osset Albion FC. I am Daz, and as always, let's start off with a special hello from Tom. Yes, hello. How are you? All good. So let's start off with a recap from part one, which seems like... uh, Don't think we've ever done that before. Well, that's because this is the first two-parter, of course. That'll be it. They've usually, usually the clubs have just uh, died on their anus and reformed, but <laughs> this one's this one's a whole special case. So yeah, recap of part one: we um, basically found out about the two clubs, Osset Town and Osset Albion, and um, found out that they were two decent-level football clubs in a really small town both surviving, both enjoying rivalry, whether that's friendly, competitive. Doesn't sound too bad, but 
of course, there is a reason they did decide to do the merger. And Tom, we're going to find out a bit more about that. Yeah, there was some pretty good... Uh, the guys from both clubs were really good conversations. So in part two, we will be hearing from Andy Mathery. They say that if you want the truth about anything, ask the bar manager. So that's what we're doing. Craig Biddleston, a hugely familiar voice to Osset United fans from his match day and social media presence. Phil Smith. We return to Phil's interview from part one as he continues telling the story after the merger. But up first, a very honest view about the teething problems as well as the general excitement straight after the merge. My name is Andy. I'm the bar manager at Osset United Football Club. Um, my involvement as the bar manager came from the fact that I was the bar manager at Osset Town Football Club. And when the clubs merged, uh, the premises that we took over were Osset Town's premises. And I stayed in situ. I, was the li- I am the licensee for the premises. One of the problems that I have is I don't follow the football as closely as a lot of other people. So um, we could be, somebody will come in and say, oh, Osset winning. And I'll joke and say, oh, we're actually playing. I didn't realise there was a game on today. I've been behind the bar, bar all day. If I'm honest with you, from my point of view, it was quite difficult because the, the immediate power struggle started to happen where you had the first, the first time it dawned on me was I was up at the club. Osset Town Juniors had some stuff in a cabin that was no longer Osset Town's cabin. It was now Osset United's cabin, a, a, a lock-up container. So me and another guy moved it all onto a, into a, a, somewhere that the juniors owned. So we moved all this stuff out. And while we were moving it the one day, one of the guys who I didn't know at all, I didn't know very well, he was an Oss- one of the Osset Albion guys, and he came up to me and said, what time are you opening the bar tonight? I said, I'm, I'm not opening the bar tonight. No one's asked me to. Well, you're opening the bar tonight at six o'clock. I went, no, I'm not. No one's told me to. And, and I was very, very insistent that I would only have one master. Whoever was the boss is the boss, but I'm not taking orders from 10 different people because it'll piss me off. Um, so when someone else comes and tells me to open the bar, I'm like, no. If James tells me to open the bar, I'll open the bar. Otherwise, the bar ain't opening. And you need to give me more than two hours notice because I've got other jobs and other stuff to do. And there was little things like that that would happen in the in the early stages. And, and that power struggle, I don't know how much about the history you know about um, uh, John and James being joint chairman and then James not being involved and then John no longer being in the club and James is now back in the club and all that sort of thing. It's boring stuff. It's make for a good soap opera. But... During the middle of that, I found my role quite difficult, actually. But because of their little struggles and their little jostling for position and power, which is, um, you know, a management theorist will tell you that happens all the time. I was in the middle of that a lot. So there was parts of it that were quite challenging. But one of the things that did stand out for me, uh, I was telling somebody about this the other day, because of the different way that the two clubs were run, Osset Town relied heavily on a pool of volunteers, particularly on a match day. So that after the game, there would be a group of people that would be constantly looking for James. And the minute James had a pint in his hand, then they knew they could have one. But nobody dare go and stand at the bar and get a pint because James would walk in like a bear with a sore head and say, who's cleaning the changing rooms today? And who's doing that today? And who's doing that today? And in fairness to him, and I, and I can be his biggest critic sometimes, if no one else did it, he would do it. So people would think, yeah, I do need to really chip in. After the merger... It was down to, and it was left with the Albion guys, or it wasn't, and I'd leave the bar, and, and there was little things like, I'd, the match would be done for an hour, an hour after full time, and the floodlights would still be on. 
Now, I knew that when town was still were looking after it and James was paying the bills and knew how expensive the floodlights were, he used to stand next to the floodlight switch and wait for the referee's whistle. And, and if you weren't off the pitch, you were in the dark. That was it. You, you couldn't get up. And I'd see stuff like that. I'd see the changing rooms. I'd leave and lock up the, uh, the bar on a night. Everyone had gone home and I'd see the changing room lights still on. It had not been swept and cleaned out because nobody defined that role for anybody. And they, they, because it was Osset Town's site, the infield sites, the guys that would have in the past hung around to do it were now we were sort of like, oh, we don't have to do this anymore. We've, we're a different club. We're not the volunteers anymore. No one's asked me to volunteer to do that anymore. And one of the things that I certainly feel, you, you will come across this a lot in non-league football, by its nature, it's very cliquey. There's a lot of in-groups and in-crowds because they, they see each other every week. They're there, you know, they turn up and help, you know, paint the fences and all the rest of it. They know each other. So a stranger walking in to try and let's go and see what football in Osic's like for the first time, through nobody's fault, it's not necessarily the most welcoming, but, you know, everyone will look up and say, who's that stranger when they walk through the door? And that would have happened in both um, both clubs. With the merger, it allowed us to completely eradicate that because it was brand new to everybody. It was a, an open invitation to the town to say, come and support this club when you. We haven't got any in crowds yet. We haven't got any cliques. We've got no you know, little, uh, little groups to make you feel uncomfortable. We're, we're just open and ready. Um, and that, from a social point of view, I think was just as important as the, 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 the marketing side of things. From the football point of view, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of, we can't wait to get started. The ground turned from red to blue. So generally, it was brilliant, really, really positive. From my point of view, there was a few challenges, but that comes from it being operational challenges and um, inevitable, I guess. Good interview, Tom. That's probably the first time you're hearing that. But um, in particular, I think it was good to have Andy's point of view because obviously in the last episode we interviewed people like Neville, James, Phil, who were um, sort of at the the top of the food chain, so to speak, with dealing with all of the um, the merger stuff. But clearly, it could never be one hundred percent plain sailing, could it? It's so true about what happens when you don't define roles. Like um, when I was club photographer at Manor Farm, I've it would just be like uh that shit there's no one about uh tom we need we need these uh you know rain guard rain covers off and i'm like i'm i'm you know and i'm more than happy to do that but yeah like uh if you don't people people become volunteers and then they're just i think they seem sometimes that's just all purpose like no matter what you agreed to actually bring in and like I probably told this story on POF before at some point. I remember I'm um, going taking some photos down at Hitherington Rocks in the Hellenic League, and an old man came up to me and said, "You want to be careful? I did that four years ago, and now I'm the groundsman." <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> true. I think um, I mean obviously, as we know from a previous Lost Clubs episode where we covered Stone Dominoes, uh, I basically was in a similar position there where I turned up to be the guy who did the tweets on a match day and before you know it you're doing everything so yeah it can definitely happen but the good thing with Osset by the sounds of it is in theory they were pooling resources rather than it being like starting again but clearly there were a few people who still felt as if they personally needed to be invited back to do the same role because of it being technically a different club which 
I guess is in some ways it's odd, but in some ways it's inevitable because non-league football is cliquey. Yeah, I yeah. Think, I don't know why, um, but yeah, uh, leave it at that. Really, it is cliquey. Um, but with big club, uh, big characters like Andy at the club, uh, do you think it makes it easier to resolve TV issues? Um. Yeah, because you need someone. To, you need you need people like that to take charge and like set up boundaries. Because like everyone, everyone's got their own way of working. Everyone's got their own, own way that they want to be treated, and you know you, you 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 can't push people around. At the end of the day, these are people. These are people that volunteer. You, I would say vital to have people like Andy. You know, laying laying down the markers. Yeah, it's good. And and to be fair, having worked in bars as in pubs, where the bar is the primary point of the building, but having also worked in venues where the bar is the secondary, there's definitely a difference in psychology of how bar staff and managers are treated. If you are a pub the barmen are often treated like royalty. Uh, if you are a football ground with a bar, you're not often treated with that um, sort of same. <laughs> now, that's just something I've noticed from working at both sides before, because it's that ultimately it's the secondary thing, isn't it, the bar at a football ground? But yeah, yeah. it shouldn't be treated as any less important. So I think having characters like Andy sort of almost um, pushing what he believes and what he thinks from that element of the club. And like I said, he doesn't get involved in the football side. Yeah. He doesn't try to, you know, he doesn't try to go into the dressing rooms and start telling the manager what to do. So I guess it's kind of that element of you respect my area, I'll respect yours, which I'm really yeah, it's the only person at any football club that is completely out of it, doesn't know the score, hasn't watched the match. So anybody who knows anything about football and loss it by now will know that those early issues were not enough to stop the people involved with the club. And we now go on to speak with United's media man to talk about where the club is now and what he thinks is needed to start climbing up that pyramid. Here is Craig Biddlestone. My name's Craig Biddlestone. I uh, look after the media team on match days at Osset United. Uh, I also do the match day announcements, so reading out the teams, goals, all that sort of stuff. And uh, there's more. Uh, I also do the commentary for Osset United Radio. Um, originally, I'm from Nottingham. Uh, Nottingham Forest fan, much to my sins. Um, and when I first moved to Osset and I discovered that the town had 20,000 people with two non-league clubs playing at the same level, um, my, my first thought was, well, Why? Why does a town with 20,000 people need two clubs? Uh, and over a period of time, you get to know people from both clubs. Uh, you hear the fors and the againsts for any potential mergers. You hear about mergers that potentially could have happened um, and didn't for whatever reason. Um, so when I was told about the merger uh, by James Rogers, um, I thought, well, yeah, about time. It's something that I think should have happened years ago. Um, now it's happened. And for me personally, it's for the stronger and for the better.
my only concern was it take longer to get served at the bar. Um, I'm not the only person to say that, but uh, no, for, for me personally, no, no concerns. Um, I know people at the time from Osset Town that were members of Osset Town. Um, a couple of people were dead against it. Um, since the merger, they haven't been seen. Um, so they're, you know, clearly sticking to their guns. It's a case now of um, looking forward. You know, it's uh, we've we're in, we're in our third season. Of course, two of those seasons probably haven't existed. Um, it's been well documented about the financial problems, but I suppose that comes with any football club, not just with a merger. Uh, we've got through that. We've we've seen the bad times off, having had some good times, and it's looking rosy for the club. It's more than just two clubs combined. Um, that 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 rivalry, I suppose, that was there between Town and Albion, that still does exist, but not in a, in a negative way. Um, if you know what I mean, I, I take Luke Swindon for example, who's the chairman of the um, supporters club. Um, Osset Albion through and through uh, the the old gold um, or the urine coloured shirts, as I used to call them. Um, of Albion, you know, runs through his blood, like I suppose the the red of Osset Town, you know, runs through my blood. Um, so that that rivalry's there. There's always going to be a bit of banter of, oh yeah, Albion beat Town so many times over the years, and this, that, and the other. But on a match day, we're Osset United. We're all the same club. I think looking over the next five years, what we've got at the minute now um, is we've got a management team in place. Uh, with a, a young, um, vibrant, exciting squad. Um, a lot of players have played primarily in the step below, so step nine, um, and have made the step up to step eight. So once we've sort of like got those players gelled, uh, we can have a few months of a decent run of football um, and add to the exciting squad that we've already got. I can't see any reason whatsoever why in the next couple of years we're not pushing towards the top six, the top five, whichever it works. It changes every year in, uh, in, in non-league football anyway. You know, let's get out of this division, but let's not say, right, we need to do that ASAP. Let's do it over a couple of years, two, three years. Get ourselves up in step seven and then get ourselves secure in step seven. Let's not be a yo-yo team. Um, let's continue to build on the exciting young talent that we've got cement ourselves a place in step seven and then you know five years after that you can start looking a little bit further up maybe promotion stability promotion stability a good method but will it be that easy tom <laughs> fair play to him he um he's got he's got a plan in his mind and he's got the enthusiasm yeah i look um <laughs> The only reason I even became aware of Osset United is because they just went out and signed um, Andy Monkhouse. And that's basically the one thing I wanted to know from everyone that we interviewed because um, Andy Monkhouse was a huge part of the Rovers squad that got promoted from the conference. And yeah, I thought, I know it's a small thing, but that, 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 logo, that logo is sick. Um, <laughs> Yeah, really enjoy their logo. Uh, their comms look brilliant. They've got, as um, as Craig said, they've got their own sort of TV channel. Yeah. Everything you know is a lot is a lot slicker than 
from what we heard in the Albion and, and town days. So, yeah, um, stability certainly. Promotion after promotion, we'll see. But if, if they had two clubs that were doing fine, now that they're together, they should be doing more than fine. Yeah, well... <laughs> This is probably why we've done a second part because it's actually turning more and more into a good news story rather than it being a story of financial depression. Yeah. But now going back to the point about where they might end up, where they could end up, obviously the one thing that can be really dangerous for non-league clubs more than anyone is being the yo-yo club because I'm guessing that there's not much difference these days, but there's still probably 50, 60 quid and more in things like playing budget and what they can actually afford to do financially off the field, sponsors, etc. And it must be so hard to make a five or 10 year plan if you're just bouncing around the divisions. Whereas if your plan is to increase your position by 10 positions a year, for example, then it might mean every third year you go up, but you're constantly on the rise. Hmm. I, I take your point, and I am not trying to put you on the spot here, Daz. I can't think of many um, like non-league clubs at that level that I consider year-year clubs. I think um, I think you're think you're thinking though of proper football clubs. What I'm saying here is there's the potential for us at United to be used in a way that historically clubs like Fylde, Villaricky. Oh, etc. I see what you mean. So as soon as somebody leaves, the club has an instant dip, gets relegated a couple of divisions, and basically has to start again. Anyway, let's move on. It seems Sorry. as though it seems as though there are years of good times ahead for us at United now, and all that's left for us to ask is what's next. So we dive back into our interview with Phil Smith to find out what the future holds. Ultimate kudos to get two teams from the same town to that level in non-league football. That's not a bad effort. You know, we're, we're step step four is is a decent standard. And to get two teams from a very little town in Wakefield to 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 be um, year on year derby rivals is amazing, amazing. But neither of them could go any further. And you know what? Possibly both on the verge of of, of extinction. Was it the right decision to merge the clubs into one? Yeah, um, as time goes by, there'll be uh, it will be it, it will become a resounding yes. At the time, you've got the purists, you've got you've got the hardcore, but ultimately, what we, we weren't fighting over Champions League medals. You know what I mean? We weren't. We were fighting over a little bit of weekend wobble between two guys in the pub. We were we were we were we were splitting nothing. Um, but the potential and the possibilities were were something greater than what we currently had. You know, I give you the numbers, the facts, and the figures. When Austin United launched on that on that first home game, there's 700 fans watching the game. They will. They didn't just decide they were football fans that season. They they were always out there, but nothing to watch. 
you know, that that guy that decides he needs to do his, his fencing this weekend, Albion are at home. Yeah, we're playing. Well, they lost last three games. I'm going to do my fencing. The guy that's having the argument with the wife, whether or not he should help do the shopping, it's not worth arguing. I don't need the grief from the wife and not sit down a crap at the moment. So I'm going to go and do the shopping. Now, 500 people decided, you know what, there's something worth watching here and decided to add to that 200 and give us a phenomenal first first home game. And the crowds have been high ever since. You know, it's been a fantastic journey so far with those crowds. So, yes, is the short, is a long answer. It was the right thing to do. The progression is there. The ability to move on is there. The club, organically now, as it sits, belongs both financially uh, and facilities wise belongs in the division above what's what needs to match that now is the quality of football in the field was it a case of trying to create an osset super club as it were or was it simply about survival in a town that was perhaps too small for two good non-league teams great question what a great question um i think I think 70-30, let's go for a super club, follow the class of 92 in the slipstream, we'll see you in the second division. In reality, would have taken a lot of investment to do that. Um, and, and we did spend a lot of money in the first season, made the playoffs but didn't go up and saw what it takes to get into the playoffs um, and, and it's tough it's it's not an easy it's not an easy league to get out of you can buy your way out of it it's not easy though and you never know what you're up against you want to commit a budget that's way above last year's budget and two other teams do the same it's mm. it's it's a financial race now who, who, who knows how, how much bigger than you have they gone you just don't know um I'd like to think football has survived in the town because of the merger, because I know both teams were really, really struggling. Um, but I think the ultimate was, come on, let's have a go at something. Let's create a super club. So an Osset super club, really, in layman's terms, is a Wakefield <laughs> EFL club, really, isn't it? What, what we're trying to say is, Wakefield is a big, big place that is missing having an EFL club. So I think what Phil's getting at there is he wants Osset to be that club. So questions from little old West Country me. One, does Wakefield have a football club? Wakefield has a football club. Um, and they are currently playing at Wakefield's rugby ground. Yeah. Um, I think they have recently, like in the last year or two, decided to have a go at climbing the pyramid themselves, but they are a few divisions shy of Osset, I think. And then question two is Wakefield going to be one of those rare places up north that prefers rugby league to football? Um, well, I suppose the whole of West Yorkshire has always had a rich history of having a good football club and a good rugby club. So 
you know, Bradford Bulls yeah. and Bradford City back in the day, Leeds United, Leeds Rhinos, um, Halifax over the years have, have been up and down. Uh, again, I've, I've got a rugby history behind it. And then obviously in the same breath, you've got the Northwest is very similar with the likes of Wigan. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not trying to diss rugby league at all. Um, I know it's, it's, it's different for rugby union and culture and whatnot. But um, as someone who's not from around there, I do look at sort of like the top flight of rugby league and see like uh, Sale Sharks, is it? And I'm just like, where is Sale? And why does it have such a good rugby league team? No. So I guess my I guess the point that I'm sort of slowly sliding my way towards is would you say Osset maybe faces the challenge in that it's got too much rugby to compete with, or does it not extend that far? I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily say there's a problem with cross sports. The one thing I would say, which um, is something we have picked up at some point during this, is, of course, Leeds United, massive, massive club, is effectively just up the road. But yeah. I'm not saying that that region is only big enough to support one football league club. And I oh, think, God, no. I think as the Premier League slowly but surely breaks away from the rest of football, a lot of fans will thoroughly enjoy the opportunity to watch clubs like Osset if they're in the right position and if the project um, <clears throat> goes as far as it could, I guess. But from the, I guess from the flip side of the conversation, because obviously at the moment, as you said, it has been very happy going, very um, one-sided in terms of our opinions, because I think we're both sold on the idea of Osset <laughs> um, as one club. But is it sad to think that Osset Albion and Osset Town as clubs, as uh, members of the non-league community are gone? And do we think it's a shame to see Queen's Terrace not being used at this level anymore? Well, Phil said that there were people, uh, well, I, I think... Uh, also, Craig said that there were people that felt so aggrieved and not listened to it that they never returned. And yeah, if, yeah of course, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course, that's sad. Um, I think more than football, like I've, you know, haven't been to a lot of these clubs myself. There are people that maybe wander out for a bit of a half and then go back to a clubhouse. Yeah. And for a lot of places, like, and I'm not. I'm not trying to chastise northern towns because the village I grew up in Pilning is just the same. There's not, like in the, in the southwest, there's not a lot of community hubs for, you know, older people to just, like, you know, hang around where they feel safe, where they've got mates, people that know them. And, if, you know, if they didn't turn up one week, you'd be like, hey, where's, you know, John? Yeah. So it's a shame that... They, they they felt that they were going to lose that and they didn't want to come along on the ride. So that, that really is the only sort of downside I can think of. Yeah, and maybe, I, hopefully I they'll right. see that it can still be that. I don't know, sometimes sometimes it does just take time. As, as Craig also said in the interview, the fact that the last year and a half, effectively two seasons, has been lost to COVID as well. So mm. it might have been one of those things that, 
after a year or two years of the club, after things settled down, they might have one by one slowly appeared back at Ingfield at some point, which, you know, they would have, I'm sure, been welcomed back with uh, open arms. So, you know, if you're listening to this, if you're an aggrieved town or United, or, or an Albion fan, give it another go. You won't be disappointed. I mean, it ain't going to be that different at this point, is it? No. So we always like to try and end on a positive note. Not that it hasn't been a positive episode, but one thing we haven't yet spoke about specifically is uh, the volunteers at the club. And they were highly praised throughout interviews by Phil, James and Neville. So to end things for the episode, going to leave you with Phil and Neville's testimonies to what they call the ultras of the club. Thanks for tuning in to Pint of Football's Lost Clubs. See you next time for another deep dive into one of England's lost football clubs. Cheers, guys. The heartbeat of the club are our supporters. They're unbelievable. We've got we've got a, a little uh, ground force slash um, mercenaries team, the ultras. Nice. nice. They will. They will. We've got welders, joiners, sparkies, plumbers. We've got everything in there. And they, they literally turn up uh, uh, with one one minute's notice and, and, and just get on with stuff. They're unbelievable, unbelievable set of people. I, I One of the reasons why I will remain with this club for as long as I physically can is because of those people. Everything that was done was done through self-help, sheer hard work, and particularly ground improvements. I mean, we, I used to get a, a, a working party every Saturday. We used to rock up at 10 o'clock and do some concreting or painting or whatever it may be. There'd be about six, maybe eight at best. And then at five o'clock, we'd go up and watch the end of the cricket. I'd buy everybody a drink. It was the best money I ever spent because this round of drinks that I bought kept this workforce together for seven years. You know, turn up and there's three of them painting the goalposts and two of them mending the toilets and... The, the far fence has fallen over, so they're just re-stacking it together and stuff. And we didn't ask him to do that. It needs doing. They've got and done it. And, you know, we'll, they'll all get a beer and we can't offer them much more. Um, but you can't expect them to do it. You can't ring up and say, listen, uh, you've got to be in on Tuesday at half past four because we need this doing. You're asking, can you help us? And the answer is always yes. And for me, that's unbelievable. for listening to this Pint of Football podcast. We would like to inform listeners that the content of this podcast has been permitted for use in this podcast only, and the content is from the view of the individuals involved, not Pint of Football. Thank you to Phil Smith, Neville Wigglesworth, James Rogers, Andy Mathery, Craig Biddlestein, and Fenella Kelly for sparing their time to help us with this recording. If you have enjoyed this presentation, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at POF underscore reviews, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pintoffootball. Uh, we also have a website, pintoffootball.co.uk, I believe. And we have recently joined Twitch, where we will be streaming Football Manager, and that's twitch.tv forward slash pintoffootball. Thank you very much.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.